Well, that is the sixth of the seven uh, discoveries our Refocus team has shared with you and we've talked about. Uh, during the four-week series that Rob and I did, uh, we focused on four of those and then we've talked about two of the others this morning, uh, reminding you and just bringing to your attention again the importance of relationships. And part of the reason this is so very important is this, um, God, God does not bless disunity in a church. God does not bless a church that's fussing and fighting with one another. God does not bless the people who backbite against one another and constantly stirring up matters in a church. He promises to bless where there is unity. And you can't have unity if you don't have people in right relationships with one another. And you won't have unity if you're not more concerned about your brother's needs or your sister's needs than that of your own. So that came as one of our uh, discoveries that was shared because we must deepen and expand our existing relationships. And in order for God to be able to continue to do here what he wants to do, and uh, that's, uh, that's why that one has been brought to be a part of our refocus process. Uh, I pray that you are uh, serious about that matter. I pray that you are serious about doing your part to make sure, hey, you're right with one another within the fellowship of this church, that you're helping to preserve the unity of the peace. It doesn't take but one person to mess that up. It doesn't take but one. And how important it is that we walk together in one mind and one heart. The matter of relationships. We've got one more we'll talk about next week, and I'll share about it as we get to it in the service next week. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15 is our text this morning. I want to continue this series of messages simply entitled Pray. And I want us to look at some very familiar verses today, but I trust maybe the Lord will use these verses to share with you, encourage you, challenge you, maybe in a little bit different way. Uh, there, there are a number of times in the Gospels, as you read through them, that you find the Lord Jesus preaching and teaching to his disciples, his followers, about this matter of prayer and praying. In fact, our verses this morning, we go to uh, Matthew 6, Matthew 5, 6, 7, Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. And it's an amazing thing how many verses, how much emphasis Jesus gives here to this matter of prayer. And that's those verses that I want us to take a look at uh, this morning and trust the Lord to speak to our hearts in a little bit different manner. Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. If you'll please stand with me in honor of God's word, I'll read our verses out loud. And you follow along there in your copy of the Bible. Uh, Jesus said, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Father, thank you for these words today. And as we continue in this series of, about prayer and praying, help us to better understand it. Help us to better practice it. Help us to better walk in the attitude of prayer that you've called us to. So, Lord, I pray you'll take these verses. I pray that you'll speak them to our hearts in a very special way. And we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, over the years, Christians have called these prayers and these verses the Lord's Prayer. I would suggest to you this morning that that is not a very good title for these verses. Uh, this really is not the Lord's Prayer. If you want to read the Lord's Prayer, go to John 17 and read the prayer that he prayed for the church, for those who followed him early on and for those who would come before after them. That's the Lord's Prayer. This would better be called the model prayer because here in this prayer, the Lord Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And in trying to teach them how to pray, he gives them this model of prayer to follow. So for this morning and next week, if, if you don't listen any quicker than the early service did, we, we might be here three or four weeks, okay? I didn't get very far in the first service. Uh, we're we're going to stay in these verses and, and talk about them and look at them for a little bit because they've got so much to teach us about this matter of prayer. It's interesting to me that before Jesus actually gives them the model prayer to teach them how to pray, he makes some comments about prayer that we all need to take seriously. We need to look at and uh, look at our own hearts. And I want to show those with you this morning. Three comments about prayer that he makes and then we'll look at at least one point uh, of the sermon this morning is probably as far as we will get. Comment number one in our verses we just read. Jesus tells us here we should pray seriously. We should pray seriously. Now let me show that to you. Notice again verse 5 that Jesus begins saying when you pray and not if you pray. Then if you look at verse 6, Jesus says it again. He says, but you, when you pray, not if you pray. And then to make sure you get it, he does it a third time. Verse 7, Jesus says, and when you are praying, not if you are praying. Now that might not seem to be real important to you, but can I assure you this morning that it is very important? And Jesus worded it that way on purpose. And the reason he words it that way is to remind us that we are to take prayer very, very seriously. It's not a matter of if we are to pray as a believer. It is when you pray as a believer. It's just understood that we are to be praying. The implication is very important. In other words, prayer is not an option for the believer. Prayer is not to be an elective. Prayer is to be a vital part of the person who is going to follow the Lord Jesus. And the issue with the Lord Jesus in these verses is not whether you will pray, but when you pray and where you will pray and what you will pray and why you will pray, not if you will pray. 
Take prayer seriously. It's to be a part of your life. It's to be a part of my life. In fact, you'll never walk with the Lord as you're intended to walk with him if you do not know how to pray in the proper manner. That's what the Lord Jesus is reminding us here in these verses. You know, that you read through the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament alike. That's why you find verse after verse after verse after verse that deal with us, encourage us, challenge us, admonish us to be a praying people. Now, I'm not going to read a lot of the ones I've already read to you. Uh, we don't have the time this morning, but I do want to mention two verses real quickly to you again. And these put it out the same way, I believe, what Christ is trying to teach us. Colossians, the fourth chapter, verse 2. Paul writes four simple words, and he says this, devote yourself to prayer. That word devote means to give oneself entirely to something. Take it seriously. It's to be a part of your life. Prayer is not optional. It's not if you pray. It's when you pray. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. Now, when you read that, you think, well, Lord, there's no way in the world I can pray without ceasing. No, yes, you can too. The Lord never commands you to do something he doesn't empower you to do. He gives you the ability to be able to obey him. You have to think about prayer in a different light to do it. But we are to take prayer seriously. We are to pray without ceasing. When you pray, not if you pray, we should take prayer very seriously. That's the first comment I'll make to you out of these verses. Second comment is this. Not only does Jesus tell us in these verses that we should take praying very seriously, Jesus also tells us we should pray secretly. We should pray secretly. Look again at verses 5 and 6. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Pharisees of that day were the religious leaders of that day. And Jesus tells us something about them. They love to pray in two places. He says they love to play, pray in the synagogues. They love to pray on the street corners. Now the reason Jesus says that is because this was the two main places that people gathered in the cities of Israel. Uh, once a day or at least and sometimes numerous days depending on the holiday or the, or the type, of, type of celebration that the Jewish people were under trumpets would sound and as a reminder that they were to go pray you see in the early church John and Peter were headed up to the temple to pray at the given hour there were times that the Jewish people set for prayer trumpets would sound to remind people to pray and these Pharisees knew where the most people would be. So at those given hours, these Pharisees would show up and they would begin praying so that many people would see them praying in public and folks might think they were more spiritual than they really were. They loved to make a show of their religion and they realized that this was a good place and a good time to make an impression upon the people. So they would show up and they would pray at the synagogues. They would show up and they would pray at the street corner. And that's what Jesus is dealing with. 
Uh, I want to point out, if I could have somebody after the second, first service this morning, we talked about this for a few moments. I want you to understand that Jesus is not condemning public prayer here. And I have heard some people say, well, I will not pray in public because Jesus says I'm not supposed to pray in public. That is not what Jesus is saying here. Uh, the Bible is full of public prayers. Jesus prayed publicly. Um, when he raised Lazarus from the grave, he prayed publicly. When he multiplied the fish and the bread, Jesus prayed publicly. Even when he was dying on the cross, Jesus prayed publicly. When Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, uh, the people were praying. They were praying publicly. There were many people praying. Again, he's not saying that you're not to pray publicly. Um, Jesus was making a point to these Pharisees, though, because he knew their heart. And here were these religious men who could go out into the synagogues and the street corners and put on a show acting spiritually but they never prayed to God in private. In fact, what I think Jesus was trying to say here, and the point that he's making is simply this, it is wrong to pray in public if you're not in the habit of praying in private. I'll talk about why that's true in just a minute. Here were these men that loved to be noticed praying in public, but you couldn't find them alone with God in their prayer closets seeking the face of God, seeking the mind and the heart of God, seeking a fellowship with God because he was their heavenly father. They just loved to be out where people would go, oh, look at how spiritual that person is. They were putting on a show. I, I read a story once that kind of illustrates what I think Jesus was saying about these Pharisees. The story goes that there was a lawyer who uh, was starting his practice in a new town. He rented an office building, and he got his name put on the front door, moved a little bit of furniture into his office, was getting ready to set up practice. He'd gone up to the office one day after all those things were made ready, and he's waiting for his first client to come in. Uh, all of a sudden, as he's sitting there at his desk, he heard footsteps walking down the hallway. Sure enough, those footsteps got closer and closer. He finally heard somebody reaching for the door handle and heard it rattle just a little bit. And he's thinking to himself, oh, my, maybe, maybe my first client, let me make a good impression upon them. So as the door starts to open and this gentleman sticks his head in to come in, the man picks up his phone that's sitting on the desk and he starts a conversation to himself on the phone. I have my secretary get back to you as soon as I can, he said. Understand I have a very heavy schedule. The lawyer trying to make a good impression on the stranger coming in. As the man stuck his head in the door, he, he waved at him, motioned at him to come on in, pointed at a chair for him to sit down. And the lawyer continues the conversation by saying, I do appreciate your calling. Call back in a few days. And if I'm not too busy, I'll see if I can take your case. He put the receiver back on the hook, looked up to see what he hoped was his first client. To this man, he says the following, well, sir, what may I do for you? To which the man then said, oh, I'm from the telephone company. I'm here to hook up your phone. <laughs> Trying to make a good impression, but it didn't make the right kind of impression. That's what these Pharisees were doing. 
And that is a lot of the praying that you and I do sometimes if we're not careful. Jesus tells us here in these verses that not only do we need to pray seriously, we need to pray secretly. Go to your place of prayer. Go to that secret place. There, real prayer, God-honoring, God-pleasing prayer is most often prayed in secret. And by the way, folks, do you know why that's true? In fact, I want to I make sure you hear this. I want to make sure I get it right. So let me, just excuse me for a minute. Let me, let me read about a paragraph here because I want, I want you to hear why it's so important, this secret place of prayer, and that you and I as followers of Christ find ourselves often in that place. Here's the reason why it is so important. Because when you are in your closet, when you are in that secret place of prayer, when you are in that place, just you and God, there is no applause. There's no clapping for religious preference. There's no acclaim. There's no people telling you how great your praying is. There are no awards. There are no plaques. There are no trophies telling you about your skill in prayer. When you are in your secret place of prayer, it's just you and God. And that is what God wants the most from his children. That's when you understand prayer. That's when God can do business with you. And really it's when we do business with God. You know, there are a lot of people who, who can say, they can stand up and pray in church, but it's just words. But if you watch their life during the week, they don't hardly spend a moment in the secret place alone with God. So before Jesus ever deals with how to pray, he tells us that we must pray seriously. We must pray secretly. And here's the third comment I'll make to you this morning. Jesus tells us here that we should pray sincerely. We should pray sincerely. Uh, verses 7 and 8. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do. For they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. Strong words, wouldn't you agree? Hey, listen. The effectiveness of our praying is not measured in the amount of words that we use. It is within the sincerity of our words that matters the most when it comes to prayer. In fact, I find it real interesting. Jesus is about to teach his disciples how to pray. He gives us a model prayer of how to pray. I'm reading from a New American Standard Version. Your Bible might vary a tad in the amount of words. But in my Bible, there's only 68 words used in this whole prayer. But what a powerful, sincere prayer it really is. We are to pray sincerely. Notice that Jesus says this. We're not to pray using meaningless repetition. And folks, I'm going to tell you, uh, you think about what that really means. And I, I, I just have to admit to you, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I think we are in the church. We just run off phrases that we don't really think about. We really don't mean. It's really not coming from the heart. We're just repeating what somebody else has said. You want some examples? 
Oh, Lord, thank you for your many blessings. Well, you ought to thank God for your blessings. But don't you think, if you're really going to thank God for his blessings, you'd be a whole lot more specific than just say, thank you for your many blessings. And if you were sincerely giving God thanks, wouldn't you be very specific about the blessing that God has given to you instead of a meaningless repetition of, oh, Lord, thank you for your many blessings in Jesus' name, amen. Here's one. Please be with us today. You say that without any thought. Some people do. I do sometimes. And here's a question for you. Do you really want God with you? Do you really want him with you today? Do you want him where you're going? Do you want him to hear what you're going to say? Do you want him to see the relationships that you have with people? Do you want him to see what you're watching on TV or the internet? Do you really want him with you? Or is it just a meaningless repetition? Here's another one. Well, Lord, bless everybody present today. Well, how are you going to know if God does that? How, how do you know if you pray that prayer God's doing? How, how do you know he answers it? It's just words that we say. Bless those who are sick. Here, here, here's another one. This, this is one of, my, one of the favorites. Oh, Lord, forgive us of our many sins. Meaningless repetition. By the way, let me say, and I've said this before, let me make sure you understand, that is not confession of sin. You do understand that, don't you? The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word Greek in the Greek, confess, means to agree with. It means to see it like God sees it. It means to call it what it is. It means to tell God on yourself. That's what confess means. Confession is not, oh Lord, forgive me of my many sins. That does not take a humble, contrite heart. To confess sins means I confess specifically to God what I have done. And when I confess my sin to God, that means that I tell God, God, forgive me for the attitude of my heart where I got so angry at my spouse today and I did not treat her as I should. God, I was wrong in what I did. Forgive me for my sin and my arrogance and my pride. That's confession. Don't use meaningless repetition. Here's another one. We throw these four words and a lot of our praying without really understanding or understanding the implication of it. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name. Hey, we are to pray in Jesus' name. But do you really understand what that means? Do, do you really, really want to put Jesus' name to what you're praying about? Do not use meaningless Repetition. Pray sincerely. And by the way, for what it's worth, and please listen to me carefully here this morning, I think you got to be careful how you use this prayer. I know a whole lot of people that have memorized this prayer, and by the way, that's a good thing to do. And they repeat it as if it's almost like some magic formula, hocus-pocus prayer. And they just throw it in. Say the Lord's Prayer without any thought, without any connection to the reality of it, without it taking root in their heart, 
It's just some religious words that they mutter over and over and over again as a religious activity, but it does not mean anything to them. It's just meaningless words. Well, be careful. Jesus reminds us to pray very sincerely when we pray. John Bunyan once put it this way, when you pray, it would be better to let your heart be without words than, word, than let your words be without heart. He's saying the same thing. Charles Spurgeon once framed it this way, the prayer of the heart is the heart of prayer. Another person said, God does not respect the arithmetic of our prayers. It's not how much we say. God does not respect the rhetoric of our prayers. It's not how eloquent we say it. God does not respect the logic of our prayers. It's not how methodical our prayer might be. God respects the sincerity of our prayer, how heartfelt they are. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, think about it. One of, the, one, of the, one of the most powerful prayers that we have recorded in our Bible is only three words in length. You remember Peter? Jesus had put the disciples after multiplying the bread and the fish and the multitudes wanted to come make Jesus king right there on the spot. And the, the, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. And Jesus put them in that boat and they started to cross the Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, during the middle of the night, a storm came up. You remember, it got so bad out there that the disciples literally thought they were going to die. And then Jesus comes walking on the water. And there in the midst of that storm, he, he comes near the boat and he cries out to them, calls out to them, Do not be afraid, it is I. And then old Peter said something that I don't think Peter really understood what he was doing at the time. He, he's like a lot of us. He just opened his mouth to shift feet sometimes. And I think that's what he was doing out there on that boat. And Peter said to the Lord, well, Lord, if it's really you, bid me to come to you on the water. And then Jesus said something to Peter. I don't think Peter ever expected Jesus to say one word, come. So it's time for Peter to put up or shut up. Either get out of the boat and come or you're going to be called a coward. You're going to be called faithless. Peter did get up. Peter did something that the other 11 disciples did not do. In fact, Peter did something that only one other human has ever done, and that was to walk on water. And for a few minutes, he did. He walked on water with Jesus. But all of a sudden, you know what the story says. Peter started to look at the wind and the waves. His faith gave loose, came loose. He looked at his circumstances. And the Bible says he sank. Now, uh, I don't know how big Peter was, but let's just say he was similar size to us. Uh, he's probably about six foot tall. He probably weighs the same 150 pounds I weigh. And uh, some of y'all just... Let, let me assure you, he went down quick. But he had just enough time to pray. He prayed seriously. He prayed secretly. Nobody else was around him. 
he prayed very sincerely. Remember what he prayed? Lord, save me. Well, you talk about a serious prayer. And what did Jesus do? He answered his prayer. Reached down, picked him up, walked him back in his arms to the boat, put him in the boat. Jesus got in the boat and the wind stopped and the storm ceased. Hey folks, God is looking for people who know how to pray seriously, who are willing to pray secretly, and who are gonna be very sincere in their prayer. Well, that's my introduction this morning. Let me get to the sermon real quick. That's about as far as I got with the first service. So let me, let me see if I can keep on both services the same place. I'll give you one more point this morning. You see in your notes there's eight. So I'm gonna give you one this morning and we'll finish up because there's barbecue outside. And I know, I know, I know what you're thinking right this minute. So let me do this quickly. Uh, I, want, I want us to walk through this prayer, uh, the model prayer where Jesus taught us how to pray. And I want to I wanna point out eight different principles to you. I think this, this prayer teaches us about praying, how to pray, what we need to be praying. The attitude deals with the attitudes of our heart and those things that are important and we're going to pray effectively. And to do it, I want to give you one key word for each principle and then we'll talk about each one of those principles as we walk through uh, this prayer. I'll give you one this morning. Here's the first key word is the word position. The word position. Uh, you see it there when Jesus said, pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. Our Father who is in heaven. It speaks of our position to be able to pray. William Barclay once said this, and I think he was exactly right. I like this. He said, it might well be said that the word Father used of God is a compact summary of the Christian faith. And I think he's exactly right. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you're going to pray effectively, you start at your position, your position in God. Pray then this way, our Father who is in heaven. Hey folks, what a wonderful thing it is that we can approach God on a father-child relationship. In fact, the only reason you and I can pray to God at all is because he is our Father. Now, I want you to listen real carefully to me because you need to understand this. There are those who think that God is Father of everyone, but they are sadly mistaken. In fact, let me say it as clearly as I can this morning. God is not Father of everybody. It is true. God is the creator of everybody. In that sense, he has created everyone. But he's not the father of everyone. He only becomes our father when we enter into his family through salvation by being adopted into his family and we become his child. And while it is true that he is creator of everyone, he is not father of everyone. You only get to call him father 
when he's your heavenly father and you are his heavenly child. Romans 8, 15, 16, and 17, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirits that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, he enables us to be able to cry out, Father. 1 John 3, verses 1 and 2. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Boy, that, just, if you, don't, if you don't get anything this morning, but get that verse in your heart. What a powerful statement that is. We are children of God. And he goes on to say, such we are for this reason. The world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And folks, the obvious truth here is this. We must be a child of God to be able to call him father. Principle number one, position. My position with God must be he is my father. I am his child. And I become a child of God only one way. We become children of God through a personal relationship with him found only in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are placed into God's family through faith in God's son, Jesus. Then and only then am I a child of God, privileged to call him father. You don't get to God through other religions. You don't get to God through other ways. As this world tells us today, there are many ways to God. No, there's not. Jesus said it clearly. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the father but through me. There's only one way. To be able to call God Father. And that's through being adopted into his family. Through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What a remarkable truth. By the way, uh, it's not true for a lost man or woman. They can't call God Father. The Bible teaches us that because of sin, we are born at enmity with God. Did you know that? Romans 3 verse 23 tells us. All of us have sinned and we fall short of God's glory. Colossians 1:21 reminds us that we were all once alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. And if a person is not saved, they're alienated from God. They're hostile towards him. 2 Peter 2:14 calls us accursed children because of our sin. Paul frames it this way in Ephesians 2 verses 1 to 6. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath 
even as the rest. And that's the predicament of every person who's outside of Christ. That's the predicament of every lost person. Without Christ, they're alienated from God. Without Christ, they are an enemy of God. Without Christ, their sin has separated them from a holy God. Boy, I'm real glad Paul didn't put the period there. If he put the period there, I'd be in trouble, so would you. But he goes on to say this. This almost make a Baptist get happy. This is what he says. But God. Boy, thank, thank God for that. But God. Being rich in mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. Hey, because you're alienated from God, because your sins have separated you from him, because we were all born into sin, we deserve hell. We deserve judgment. We deserve separation for all eternity from a holy God. That's our predicament without Christ. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But God, and that's why you can pray, our Father who art in heaven. It has to do with Jesus. It doesn't have anything to do with you. It has to do with his saving work. And without that, you and I would never be able to approach a holy God to be able to pray. So we start, and Jesus teaches us to start where we must all start. Our position in Christ, in God. And you know what? If you're here today and there's never been a time that you've come to personal faith in God's only Son, can I just declare to you today that that's where you got to start? For God to ever hear your prayer? For you to ever be able to approach God? Yes, God's your creator, but he's not your father until you've come to him through a personal relationship through his son, the Lord Jesus. It's because we're in Christ. It's because of that position that we can bow our knee bow our hearts and we can pray our Father which art in heaven. Amen. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth that we see. Thank you for your great gift of salvation that we have in Jesus. Thank you that because of him and our position in him we can call you, call you our Father. Lord, that's the privilege of many of us here today. As we walk through this prayer these next week or so, help us to be able, be able to understand what that means. And as your child in that position, help us to know how we can better pray. But Lord, we thank you for putting us there. We thank you for the relationship we have with you through Jesus. We thank you for providing the way by which we could be saved. And Lord, for that person that might be here today who's never come to personal faith in you. Lord, I pray that you'll draw them to yourself. 
I pray you'll let them see that it's only through Christ that they can call, call you Father. I pray today you'll let them see their need to be born again, to be born into the family of God. Lord, help them to see their need for a Savior and help them to be able to believe Jesus Christ is that answer. If you're here today and you've never been saved, but well, we're going to stand here in just a minute. Lee's going to come back and lead us in a hymn of invitation. If you need to give your heart and your life to Christ, there's not a better place, better time than right here, right now. And as we stand together and sing, I'm going to be standing down front. I would ask you to do this if you need to give your heart and your life to Christ. As we begin to sing in a minute, would you just step out from where you'll be standing, make your way down front, take me by the hand, just say, Pastor Ken, I need to give my life to Christ. That's all you need to say, and this is what we'll do. We'll have one of our staff members take you back to the back, and in a few moments of private time sharing with you from God's Word, they'll share with you today how you can come to Christ, how you can become a child of God, how you can walk out of here today a changed person, truly a child of God. Boy, if that's your heart's desire, would you come? Maybe even now God's knocked at your heart's door. Maybe you, you've got questions. Maybe you're scared. Maybe, maybe there are things, even the devil, trying to hold you back right now. Don't, don't let those things keep you from coming. You come today and give your heart and your life to Jesus. Christian, if you're here and God's put other commitments on your heart to come be a part of this church family, or maybe you just need to come to this altar for a moment and pray, you respond during this invitation. Father, help us to respond to your call in our life. Lord, help us be able to call upon you in the proper way. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you